welcome to Ultraverse with Q, your guide to the ultimate universe. Now in podcast form. I'm Luke. And I'm Devin. And this week we're talking about... Some X-Men, some fear, and some secrets. Secret, secret, who's got a secret? Yes, uh, this week we are going to be covering Ultimate X-Men 54 through 60, along with Ultimate Nightmare and Ultimate Secret. Secret, secret, who's got a secret? And it's uh, it's an interesting mix of a lot of just mid-range stories. Uh-huh. Like, nothing horrible but it's also nothing that i'm like oh i want to read this first when i come back to the ultimate universe very true Mm -hmm. but after a couple weeks of repulsive more repulsive stories it's nice to get on something good ish yeah i mean last week we had a like top shooter that's true it was decent Mm -hmm. but yeah no we have been dealing with a lot of Mark Millar Fantastic Four, which is very hit and miss. Mm-hmm. And Brian K. Vaughn's X-Men has not been great, and this is not going to change that. Correct. And Devin, do you know what I did this time that I don't normally get around to doing? What's that, Luke? I edited my notes slash outline so <gasps> it's readable. So hopefully, if you notice a difference where Devin doesn't just seem crazy for reading words that don't go together all that well, let me know. Or taking a weird pause so that I have to try to figure out which word deserves to be there instead. I edited out the pause. That's good. Yeah, because I... Ultimate X-Men numbers 54 through 57... The Most Dangerous Game was written by Brian K. Vaughn with pencils by Stuart Eminem, inks by Wade Von Graubadger with Scott Koblish, our friend. Scott Koblish, friend of the show? Scott Koblish, friend friend of the show from back in our first year. Uh, Because we have like over 300 episodes. Dang, son. But uh, we're also going to be coming up on our 200th numbered episode soon. So uh, look forward to that. We are uh, in talks for a super secret special guest. Jesus? No. Uh, the colors were by Justin Ponsor and letters were by Chris Eliopoulos. We start off with a mysterious blonde man being chased by a, another man armed with a rifle. When the armed man ignores the blonde's calls for help, the blonde throws razor blades that he snuck out at the other man, causing him to drop the gun. But the other man doesn't stop his approach and pulls out a machete. Luckily, when the man with the machete raises it to strike, he gets hit by lightning and is murdered. And then we see that this is all being broadcast as a reality show. Hunt for Justice! By Mojo Adams, who is a large albino man. After Kitty finishes showing this video to Scott and Jean, they all pass it on to Professor Xavier, who explains that it is being shot on Krakoa, an island near Genosha, which is south of Madagascar. So it's a pair of two smaller islands in East Africa. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be one of those times where they just 
throw a lot of names and they change things so they're sort of similar, but it kind of ruins the brief concept. Oh, yeah. Because, like, part of Mojo's thing is he's a parody, and here he's not really a parody. He's everywhere you want to be. I don't get that. Like, Chub Chub. It's a Simpsons reference, Luke. Oh, wait. Patty and Selma's lizard? Yeah. Okay. From the episode where Selma's going to marry Troy McClure and Jub Jub just keeps getting in his way. Oh, you mean a fish named Selma? Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. The line is, he's everywhere you want to be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Long-time listeners will remember that I, Ultimate Luke, along with Normal Luke, have actually read the Simpsons episode guidebook more than we've actually seen the episode, more times than we've actually seen the uh, episodes of The Simpsons. You can fix that, Luke. And soon you shall, in pretty much two months exactly. When Disney Plus gets all The Simpsons on it? Disney Plus hits it. Which it might have already taken it off the FXX app because I tried to watch an episode last night and it told me I needed to sign in, but I don't know how to sign in anymore because it's not like it used to be. Oh, I'm sorry. I know Dev needs the Simpsons. It's true. It's how I go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. I can still crack open seasons 1 through 17 on DVD, but then, then you got to switch the disc. This is one yeah. thing I, I found nice about the whole streaming of The Simpsons. Is you can flip between seasons so quick. But you don't get commentary, do you? Oh, no, you can put up commentary. Oh, neat. I didn't know that. Yeah. The Disney Plus app. We're talking about it. Money, uh, please. Be- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the Genosian government has outlawed mutants, and recently the blonde man, Arthur Centino, was found guilty by a biased court of killing a Genosian politician, Lord Joseph Scheel. Mojo Adams took advantage of the state of mutant affairs by offering to televise the hunts, and this has been going on for about three months. Also, just to make a quick note, it is weird that Mojo and Longshot, even though he's not called Longshot for a while, are named after Art Adams, the guys, the artists who designed uh, Mojo and Longshot, but you know who isn't given a name credit? Who? Mr. Claremont? No. And Nascentio. Oh. Well, I guess there's Centino. Okay, 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 I see. So that's why his that's why it's Arthur Centino. Okay, I got that now. I got that. That's weird. I think Arthur Nascenti would have been fine, but Okay. We solved a mystery. Look at you, Luke. The X-Men want to fight the, uh, Genosha, but Xavier instead decides to send a team on a fact-finding mission to find evidence of Arthur's innocence, with the team consisting of Cyclops, Jean, Colossus, Kitty, and Iceman. Colossus doesn't want to go to just find facts, so Xavier grounds him and generally is snippy with everyone about them not just following him. Back on Krakoa, Arthur knocks out two crew members and demands to be released, and Mojo's assistant, Major Domo, worries about the population becoming tired of Arthur on the show. In return, Mojo mentions how Doug Ramsey won Jeopardy 74 times, 
He's the ultimate version of Ken Jennings. And the number of viewers grew with each win. Major Domo brings up that this is a matter of justice, so Mojo decides to call in the big guns to finish Arthur off. Side note, I had to look up to see when Kenning when Ken Jennings lost history, because I was going to be like, wow, it was really prescient of uh of them to uh know how many times or to just randomly guess how many times Ken Jennings was going to win. Yeah. Weird just one off reference to Cypher. Do you think Ultimate Cypher though has teamed up with the creator of Magic the Gathering to create a uh new trivia game? No. Oh. I don't think he's even going to team up with Ultimate Warlock. Probably not. After their plan lands, Scott and Jean decide to try and get close. Kitty calls out Iceman for being a jerk to everyone since Rogue is left. And meanwhile, back at the mansion, Angel, Nightcrawler, and Colossus train together in the danger room. Colossus is still angry, so Dazzler shows up in the session and suggests that they steal Blackbird to fly out to Genosha. Once they get on the plane, they wonder if they were following Xavier's plans that he had implanted in them. Meanwhile, Mojo has called in Arcade, a video game design prodigy turned real-world adventurer who wants to kill Arthur, right after tightening up these graphics. He wants revenge on all mutants since Magneto killed his sister in New York City and comes off as unhinged, even going so far as to pull a gun on Mojo to get him to stop talking so he can start hunting. Mojo shows some concern about what will happen when they run out of mutants, and Major Domo suggests that maybe they need to look worldwide. The X-Men team that is officially there lands unaware that they are being tailed by a mysterious woman, while the unofficial team lands with Angel electing to stay in the Blackbird after they land. They quickly run into a transmitter for the television signal that they destroy before Arcade runs into them and opens fire. Arcade works to knock him out, knowing how to stop each member of the team until Arthur shows up, causing Arcade's gun to explode with his luck powers, and saves the X-Men from being murdered. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the official class visits where Lord Shield's body was found in a random field, knifed to death, even though there were no local signs of a murder, though it had been a few months. It, it's a weird thing where it's like, oh, there's no signs of murder in this random field. And it's like, this show has been going on for a few months. I don't know how long Longshot has been the target of the show, but it's like natural like rain and everything would wipe away a lot of the Mm -hmm. DNA evidence. I agree. The mysterious woman from the airport shows up, knocking out Jean Grey before revealing that she has six arms and a weapon in each one of them. Uh, Devin, Devin, I highlighted or I bolded that. Fine. Knocking out Jean before revealing that she has arms and a weapon in each one. You didn't say six that time. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Splice it together, Luke. The mysterious woman from the airport shows up, knocking out Jean Grey before revealing that she has six arms and a weapon in each one. She reveals that she knows who the X-Men are and wants to stop them and from destroying her progress in Genosha. Cyclops thinks that she means that she killed Lord Shield and they get ready to fight, but back at Mojo's estate, Mojo is worried about the lack of a broadcast and starts threatening people to get it working again. Back with the secret team, Arthur introduces himself as Longshot to the team, and they decide to head back to Angel, who at that moment is getting surrounded by something. Uh, The team talks about how Arthur's luck doesn't prevent bad things from happening, but instead means that he usually comes out of situations all right. 
When Longshot and the team return to the Blackbird, though, they find that Angel is missing and a video player was left by Mojo, who demands that they turn over Longshot or he is going to kill Angel. Longshot is fine turning himself in until Colossus suggests that they attack instead. Meanwhile, six-armed woman stands off against the X-Men, and when Bobby messes up Cyclops' plan, she takes advantage, knocking out Kitty and Cyclops. But that is when Jean reappears with the Phoenix Force and knocks her out and begins exploring the mind of the woman who goes by Spiral. It's... it's I, I'm glad they actually name the characters eventually, but it's just like... Put a caption on or whatever underneath. Just get it over. Because, like, we, they don't go by Spiral or Longshot until, uh, like, Longshot introduces himself in, like, the third or fourth issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Nightcrawler brings in Longshot and Dazzler before collapsing from the strain, and he also left Colossus back where they were before. Longshot quickly goes on the offensive because he really hates humans. While Dazzler tries to look after Nightcrawler, but Longshot's luck runs out as he ends up in Mojo's grasp. In Spiral's memories, she explains that she met Longshot in a club for mutants before they were outlawed and explained how his luck powers made him take things for granted, including her. Lord Shield ended up running into her at the club and they started a relationship, but Longshot ended up catching them together. Longshot got angry at her for cheating on him with a human and killed him, so she knocked him out and then turned him into the police to keep there from being a mutant witch hunt. She wanted the X-Men to not find out the truth because it could cause a lot of problems, especially since Lord Shield was married and had kids. Dazzler, meanwhile, causes the lights hanging above Mojo to fall so she gets the drop on Longshot. In response, Major Domo takes a knife to Angel, threatening to murder him and defending their actions, claiming that Mojo gave the humans an outlet for their hate. Longshot threatens to kill Mojo, so Major Domo backs off, and Longshot gets angry and racist about humans and gets close to killing Major Domo until Colossus, who Nightcrawler couldn't bring in, bursts through the wall. Kool-Aid Man style. Yep, he Kool-Aid Man's through. Leaving Longshot with a boat to leave before they can fly back the mansion. But when they return, Xavier is angry at all of them for letting Longshot, who is a murderer, a convicted murderer even, and he plans to suspend all four of them, except for their leader, who he is going to expel. But when Angel takes the blame and says that he was a leader, because he already got physically tortured by Mojo, Xavier decides to let him stay. Also probably because he needs that Angel money. Oh, 100% because he needs that Angel money. Mm-hmm. When they leave, Dazzler thanks Angel by making out with him. Nightcrawler remarks to Colossus that they are running out of single women, which Colossus doesn't seem bothered by, and... Xavier, meanwhile, reveals that while he was able to save Spiral and get her out of the country, he is worried that Mojo showed everybody their truest selves, and I don't think this story works. Nope. There is definitely a problem when you're trying to tell a story about, like, a racist island that is unjustifiably putting people on television where they're murderers and then it turns out that oh no this person actually did do the murder he should be there he is actively evil the x-men should have just let him die yep like it it's it is so many weird stances to take cool this and this also where it was weird because this is where it basically establishes that there's more than one long shot 
Is it? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, because normally... Just because in terms of character personality, it was like this long shot was not like normal long shot. Well, I mean, there's a few Marvel characters. But yeah, he is a... I mean, there's there's different long shots thought, from different I thought universes. Long shot. Oh, is there? I thought long shot in Mojo, there's only supposed to be one. It's inconsistent because, like, think about every TV show that's also part of the multiverse. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It is a, a weird thing. Technically, there should only be one... And I think it works more with Mojo than Longshot, but I think there might be multiple generations of Longshot bred from, like, the different times that Mojo has interacted with the universes, if that makes sense. Yeah, I got you. Mm-hmm. Up next, we have Ultimate X-Men number 58, A Hard Lesson with writer Brian K. Vaughn, art by Steve Dillon, color by Paul Mounts, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, and it was interesting to see Steve Dillon show up. Have you read a lot of stuff that he did art on? Mm, no. Uh, he did all the art for Preacher. Oh, then yes, I've read two volumes of that. Yeah, it, it it's weird seeing him show up here, but he also has like a hand for the grotesque. That he does. Professor Xavier is at the bank because he found out that all of his assets have been frozen because Sebastian Shaw of the Hellfire Club claimed that there was an unauthorized transfer, which doesn't make a lot of sense because we assumed that everyone had died. The banker is unable to release any of the money, and Xavier is financially in dire straits. This is coincidentally when Syndicate, a mutant with a glowing heart that sends EMPs and a conjoined head, comes in with guns pulled to rob the bank. Do you think this story was taking place at the same time as the last story, and this right here reveals why he didn't get rid of Angel Luke? Maybe, but also we see where the X-Men are later on in the story. Professor Xavier is a narc and reaches out to the police psychically, but when he tries to psychically force down Syndicate, he fails and they start to threaten the police. Xavier confesses it was him trying to control them. But they refuse to believe it, and when the police do in fact show up, Syndicate starts to worry, so Xavier uses other hostages to keep Syndicate busy, because the X-Men are currently fighting Warlock in New Jersey for some unexplained reason. That is the only Warlock that we will ever get reference to in the Ultimate Universe. Syndicate starts to force everyone into the vault and warns them that they want a jet in one hour, or they will start killing people. The security guard, meanwhile, has a heart attack, so Xavier taps into the memories of a lifeguard so she can save him, and this convinces everyone else that Xavier is a mutant and to trust him. Xavier warns that they need to escape since Syndicate won't get what they asked for, and he starts making a plan which involves taking die packs from bags of money and unlocking a woman's black belt potential. It's so weird. That was it's weird. Like, oh, hey, lady, you know how you didn't think you were good enough for uh, black belt? I'll psychically remove that inhibition. It, it it's very strange. Now you are best black belt of all time. Mm-hmm. Xavier rolls out with the money, asking to buy his freedom, and tosses a die pack at them, blinding them while the others disarm Syndicate and then escape out of the bank. Xavier's left behind and talks to them, and they realize he was the telepath. He explains that he knows about they, how they wanted to get the money to save their sister, who is in the hospital, but what, then he threatens to kill her if they don't follow him. 
it is a sudden, oh yeah, no, I'm going to tell you what to do. Otherwise, your sister is going to jump off the roof of the hospital yep. and die. Classic Twisted Xavier. Mm-hmm. Charles has Syndicate surrender at the bank, and when they decide to change their mind, they get shot and killed, but it turns out that this was really just an illusion that Xavier had made. He explains that he did it while keeping them invisible, so everyone thinks that they died so he can wipe their memories. Xavier explains that he wants them to steal his money back from the Hellfire Club and sends them to a secret base in Manhattan. Start spreading the news, dun da da dun da I want to be a part of it. Killing the Hellfire Club. Stealing is bad unless you're stealing for the pe- for me. Mm-hmm. From rich people. Mm-hmm. From rich people who stole other rich people's money. Mm-hmm. The circle of life. We then have Ultimate X-Men 59 through 60, Shock and Awe, written by Brian K. Vaughn, with pencils by Stuart Eminem, inks by Wade Von Graubadger, colors by Justin Ponsor, and letters by Chris Eliopoulos. Before Storm joined the X-Men, she was racing motorcycles with her thief friend Yuriko. Yuriko wants Storm to leave because she's invading her turf, so it turns into a fight on motorcycles. Storm subconsciously summons a storm, and Yuriko, distracted, is hit by a semi-truck. Currently, Storm is in a bar in Canada looking for Wolverine, who got caught up in a bar fight because some patrons killed a mutant they thought was a Sasquatch. Storm shows up, and the fight fully erupts with the duo knocking out the patrons from the bar. As the Mounties head towards them, they hotwire and steal a truck, unaware that they are being watched by Yuriko, now going as Deathstrike, who has long murder blade nails. Wolverine explains that he left Storm because he is looking for signs of the life that he lost, and that is when Deathstrike attacks, slicing their truck in half. We cut to the past, where Dr. Cornelius from Weapon X approached her after Storm and the X-Men had attacked Weapon X. He explained that Storm was a mutant and that he wants to help Yuriko, and he is going to give her the power to stop Wolverine by making her his equal for revenge, so that way, after she knocks him out, she can stop Storm. So now, back in Canada, going by Deathstrike, and with misinformation about how John Wraith died, she wants well, revenge. Mm-hmm. She gets in a fight with Wolverine, revealing that she now has a healing factor that is even better than Wolverine's. And she knows Wolverine's weaknesses, and she captures him. Uh, she threatens to destroy his brain if Storm attacks, so Storm improvises, strikes a tree with lightning, and that causes Yuriko to release Wolverine, while Cornelius and a small platoon chase after them in a lightning-proof helicopter. They open fire, so Storm tosses Wolverine into the air at the helicopter, but while he is destroying it, Yuriko... Uh, starts choking Storm. Storm apologizes for what happened, and then she strikes Yuriko with lightning and passes out. When she wakes up, she is back at the mansion with Nightcrawler and Wolverine waiting for her there. Wolverine refuses to say what happened to Yuriko, but explains that he plans to leave the team again so others don't get dragged into his history. But Storm tells him to maybe instead stay with the team and make a new future instead, and he accepts. It's a weird use of Yuriko Mm. and Lady Deathstrike. Or, well, no, I was thinking of Yukio. Yukio was Storm's lesbian friend. 
Yes. Yuriko, Yuriko was Wolverine's Japanese wife. Which is why they had to change it around to give it that Brian K. Vaughn twist. Mm-hmm. Which is weird. Very weird. It's like so many of the things that you're just seeing like, oh, we're twisting things around to twist them around. Oh, yeah. But yeah, we then have Ultimate Nightmare numbers one through five, which was written by Warren Ellis with pencils by Trevor Harrison and Steve Epting with inks by Simon Colby, Nelson DeCastro, Mark Morales, Rodney Ramos, and Tom Palmer with colors by Frank D'Armada and letters by Chris Eliopoulos. The Tunguska event was a mysterious explosion that caused 770 square miles of forest to get flattened out in 1908. In 1927, the Russians started examining it and found something. Now, in 2004, a worldwide audiovisual signal depicts the death of an entire galaxy and a specific planet as well as the inhabitants on it. As it repeats omens of death, people across the world start to commit suicide, and at the Xavier Institute, Gene and Charles catch the psychic energy as well. Xavier pinpoints the source and assembles a team to rescue whoever is sending it out. Meanwhile, Nick Fury is dealing with the same situation because the signal has happened repeatedly over the past three days in every language and every device across the globe, and he wants to stop it. Fury plans to send in himself, Captain America, Black Widow, and someone else, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, who has a pair of mechanical wings. The two teams separately plan their attempt, remarking about how far out Tunguska is. For example, if you try and find directions on Google Maps, there are no directions on Google Maps. It would be about a 10-hour drive if there were highways, but there are not highways out there, so it is literally in the middle of nowhere. If you know where Kamkachka is, because you play Risk, it's north of Kamkachka. Sam, meanwhile, who has been doing ayahuasca, uh, thinks that he can potentially communicate with whatever is sending the signal out. Also importantly, there is a two-mile base with a series of nuclear landmines built around it that could potentially be activated by radio signals, so they realize they will need to be radio silent. On the Avengers' side, Sam notes that it looks like the base was abandoned and hacks into the old tech, while elsewhere, the X-Men, Jean, Colossus, and Wolverine, get in when Jean moves the door aside. The Avengers finds everyone working at the base left in 1994 when they stopped getting paid they find a mysterious figure with the horn that fires electricity, and the team shoots at it to no effect. Sam ends up slicing the figure with his wings when t t it takes a break from firing, and they kill it since it lost the electric field, and Sam begins doing an autopsy. He finds sign of starvation and that the horn was metal grafted onto him and that they can't call for an extraction because of the signal being admitted here. The X-Men, meanwhile, find a number of skeletons and then a dead end that Wolverine believes is trapped. Wolverine doesn't want to go through the blockage, but is vetoed, so when he does try to move it, he finds that it's actually a massive figure grafted with metal who attacks. The monster pushes it through the floor, and the X-Men finds themselves surrounded by even more monsters. Meanwhile, the Avengers continue pushing through, and Black Widow, who has been reading the notes, finds that they were trying to take parts of what they found to make their own Captain America as they begin to stumble into cells and find more of these cyborgs. The Avengers run into the leader of the group, who has fashioned himself based on Captain America, complete with a shield made out of flesh, because sure, Warren, what are you doing, buddy? Captain America tells the others to keep moving while he faces his doppelganger. 
The X-Men, meanwhile, are surrounded by cyborgs. Colossus tries to talk them down, but the cyborgs have gone mad and attack instead. Jean causes a cave-in, dropping them down further, and Wolverine worries about Jean pushing too hard, but she snaps back that she just wants to quiet the voice because she is hearing whatever is sending the signal out and a lot of other voices while she's in here. As they push further, though, the signal starts to take over her more and more, and because of their psychic link, it is affecting the other X-Men as well. Colossus rips down another door, trying to find the source. Meanwhile, as Captain America fights the Russian captain and beats the hell out of him, he rejoins the team and they find the remains of an android that has had parts stripped from it to make the cyborgs. The X-Men come through the other door and Fury tells them to stand down and stuns Wolverine, who does not. When Wolverine gets ready to attack after getting stunned, Captain America comes in and tosses a grenade at Wolverine, blasting him. And Sam realizes that the X-Men are hostile because they were in the psychic connection with Jean, who is being messed with by the android. Sam starts talking and the android calls itself Vision and says that it came with a warning 100 years ago to prepare for Galactus, but it took too long to be able to send the signal. The X-Men escape in a flash, realizing that they needed to get out, while Fury calls in the helicarrier to extract Vision and to work with him, while deciding that he's just going to blame the signal on terrorists. A classic 2000s response. It's a weird story. Like, I, I get that they're trying to do a team-up that's not a team-up and is also like a sort of horror story. Mm-hmm. But they, I feel like they needed another issue or two to sort of build the mysteries because instead it's just like a very bad horror game where you just get a few audio files that explains everything. Mm. And it's like, oh, all right. Very much so. We then have Ultimate Secret number one through four, written by Warren Ellis with pencils by Steve McNiven and Tom Rainey with inks by Mark Morales Scott and Scott Hanna with colors by Maury Hollowell and Rob Schwager with letters by Chris Eliopoulos. Dr. Philip Lawson arrives at the Ultra Security Shield Base, watched over by the Director of Security, the first appearance of Ultimate Captain Carol Danvers. The plan is to launch the As Is 01, and they are joined by Dr. Storm, Lawson here is here to talk about the zero-point zone drive used in the Asus, which is used uh, ambient energy to power engines, creating thrust from nothing and making a ship capable of 20% light speed. Unfortunately, an invisible force breaks through the perimeter at the secret base, making a beeline for the ship in the commotion. Phillips slips away and strips down from activating a watch on him because he is actually Plus Commander Gennaris Halansan Marvell. He attempts to order the kill form that is attacking the stand down and finds that Jan Rog, the mission leader, took uh, his access away. They both leave the dimensional warp that they were in and realizing that he can't stay the ship, Marvel flies to grab the commander, the engine before the ship explodes, and drops it off with some soldiers. He then returns and destroys the kill bot and, exhausted from the fight, passes out surrounded by soldiers. When he wakes up, Carol Danvers has a bomb wired to his neck, so he deactivates the suit, revealing himself to be Lawson. She refuses to believe it is him, and so when he reveals the truth about being a Kree, uh, Fury comes in to get Danvers, and Carol didn't understand and thinks that he's a First Nation Kree. And so Fury talks uh, to him, though Marvell is a bit too glib with Fury, and nobody is really happy with that. 
Marvel explains that he was surgically altered to look human, but Fury is unhappy dealing with him and punches him. And Marvel claims that he was sent them claims that he was sent there to watch them face Galactus. Fury recognizes that name, and Marvel goes on to explain that he needed to see if anyone could escape the planet because they're all supposed to die, but he is defected since he loves the Earth. Fury, in response, calls in Reed Richards and Sue Storm. Marvel love Earth, Michael. Reed, meanwhile, has been looking at the Drake equation, trying to figure out why there haven't been any aliens making contact, minus all the other aliens that have, like the Chitari. And he brings up the Fermi paradox, and ultimately Sue posits that maybe something is destroying aliens before they visit. And that's when the call comes in, and they stop Ben and Johnny from making an alcohol still to go see Fury, and they meet Iron Man and Thor along the way. That's rude. They should never have stopped them from making their alcohol. Mm-hmm. Quantum alcohol. Right? Especially when they're going to go see poor Iron Man. After Sue rejects Iron Man's advances and Thor bros out of Johnny and Ben, Fury gathers everyone to explain that they have found the Vision, who was supposed to warn them a century ago, but now they only have a matter of weeks and that Galactus has been taking out alien civilizations along the way. Marvel explains that Jan Rog wants all of Earth to die, while Marvel likes the Earth and is introduced as is to help them escape. His plan is to make the Kree attack the Earth with actual troops so they can get on the ship, which will be undefended, and then get the secret Kree information on Galactus. Fear agrees, additionally calling in Black Widow and Hawkeye to help. The away team of Reed, Sue, Iron Man, Hawkeye, and Marvel take off as the swarm of aliens appears on the screen, waiting to be greeted by Thor, Johnny, The Thing, Black Widow, Nick Fury, and the Shield Army. The away team gets inside and starts to kill, starts killing. But Yang Rog finds that they've activated Marvel's cloaking, leaving him in debilitating pain. When they refuse to leave him behind, Hawkeye gets angry. They eventually get to the core and find that Yamrog has already set the ship to self-destruct because he read about Galactus and went insane. Marvel works to download the Creed database, and Stu Storm blocks the escape pod from dropping, trapping him inside the exploding ship. They then beam out the message that Yamrog helped them stop Galactus back home and escape the exploding ship. Meanwhile, on Earth, the war didn't really have any major moments, but now with Vision and the Creed database, Fury is ready to save the world from Galactus. Galactus! How do you feel about Galactus, Devin? The evil space cloud? We don't know it's an evil space cloud yet, Devin. That's fair. I love yeah. Galactus. <laughs> I love the cloud. <laughs> I love That's where I store my files. Uh, yeah so we have five stories to rank on here and as a person who generally likes Warren Ellis stuff nothing here is like oh this is that good Ellis stuff that I love it's like oh Ellis gets to write about the Tunguska event he loves writing about that that he did (laughs) because if I recall that was also what ultimate war or uh that's what the uh there was a standalone graphic novel that he did. Sure. Uh, Endless Wartime. I think that also was like tied into it. Nice. You didn't read Endless Wartime? Nope. 
ah, that was when he was trying to push like the Trinity of Marvel, and uh, that also had like Carol doing a lot of Captain Marvel stuff in like the first. Oh, we're going to try and get this as a standalone thing into bookstores. Gotcha. Yeah, Warren Ellis loves his Tunguska event, even though he had to change when it actually happened to fit the story. Poor Ellis. Yeah. Always having to change. I know. Uh, Yeah, first we have The Most Dangerous Game, which isn't necessarily bad, but I don't think it's a great X-Men story. No. Uh, I don't think it's as good as Return of the King because that had a bunch of crazy fun stuff in it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, is it better or worse than Thief in the Night, the first Gambit story? Um, Thief in the Night, honestly. Yeah, I mean, Thief in the Night had Alice Krauss. Uh, how do you feel about Spider-Man? How do you feel about it compared to uh, Team Up Spider-Man and Doctor Strange? I, I think I'd give this over. I would agree. So our new number 50 on our list of 65 uh, stories is Ultimate X-Men 54 through 57, the most dangerous game, which is mutants. Up next, we have... Ultimate X-Men 58, a hard lesson, which Ultimate Xavier is just weird. Like, he's inconsistent and also weird. Agreed. Also, Bob Belcher could have handled that uh, bank robbery way better than he Charles could have. And then he could make friends with Syndicate Tank Bank. Mickey Tank Bank. Aw, yeah. And then Syndicate could work at Wonder mm-hmm. Wharf. We got done doing a rewatch of Bob's Burgers recently. Nice. Then they could have also made a ton of money after this. Helped sell... The Ambergris? The Ambergris, yeah. All right. So, uh, after that, we have a hard lesson. How do you feel about a hard lesson compared to... Uh, Return of the King Prelude. That was the one where it's like, oh, we're going to go and steal Magneto's helmet. I like this more. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about it compared to Blockbuster? Not as good. Not as good? Not as good. Uh, we then have Ultimate Spider-Man 1 half that is right under that. That's the one with Iron Fist and Shoes. Mm, better. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So our new number 39 is Ultimate X-Men number 58. A hard lesson. We then have Ultimate X-Men 59 through 60, Shock and Awe, which... It's 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 an also-ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about it compared to The Tempest? Which one was that one? Uh, that was the Ultimate X-Men 1... Where uh, it was the one before Cry Wolf with the Strucker twins. It was the one where like Angel joins the team and Storm is upset. Ah, uh, truth. I think it's better than yes. that because at least 
this will probably remember more of what happened. Uh, how do you feel about it compared to, I think it's better than Think Tank, the Ultimate Fantastic Four, one that we both don't mm-hmm. like. Uh, Tomb of Namor. I, I'd put it above Tomb of Namor. I would also put it above Mr. Namor. Uh, how about Spider-Man and Iron Man? Teeth, teeth, teeth. teeth. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a tough one. I on mean, the one hand, got some more less inconsistent stuff. On the other hand, teeth. I I I see the teeth as a strength, though, because we remember that. I don't think we'll remember most of what shock and all. That's is fair. About. So our new number fifty-seven under <laughs> teeth is shock and all. Uh, we then have. Ultimate Nightmare, uh, numbers one through five, which it's not bad. It's just not great. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about it compared to Ultimate Six? I think that's a comparable starting oh, point. I like it better than that. Uh, I feel like I like Return of the King better just because Return of the King had some weird and goofy ass mm-hmm. stuff. So then our new number 48 is Ultimate Nightmare. And then last, we have Ultimate Secret. We didn't really talk about how we felt about Ultimate Secret. The, like, on-the-ground battle had, like, absolutely nothing to do beyond, like, oh, hey, look at us easily destroying all of these aliens who didn't come down invisible for whatever reason. Yep. It's, it's, it's weak and not very no. good. Uh, I'd put this lower than that. Uh, how do you feel about it compared to uh, Cry Wolf? Mm, better. Uh, compared to the Tempest? Yeah, I think it's better than Tempest better and Tank Tank. Uh, better or worse than Two of Namor? Better. Teeth? Better. Uh, Spider-Man and Man-Thing. Better. Okay, uh, I'm good putting this above Ultimate Electra, but under Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. So our new number 55 is Ultimate Secret. And that brings us up to Devin. Devin, do you know what number we hit? 69. Yeah! Yeah, nice. So at the top is Ultimate Spider-Man Hollywood, and at the bottom is Ultimate Iron Man, one through five. Devin, yes, Luke. Do you know? Do you know what we're covering next week? But it's not going up for two more weeks because in two weeks I have CXC that I'm going to be busy volunteering. Not at. a chance. Well, if we covered the prelude to uh, Ultimate Galactus, we got Ultimate Vision and Ultimate Extinction. Nice. And you know what goes up the week after that? Or, and you know what is also going to be that week that we might do a tie-in for? What, Luke? Well, Devin? Yes? It's going to get a little bit twisted and weird because we live in a society because Joker's coming out. Neat. So we'll do some sort of Joker tie-in, probably. Maybe. We'll probably just talk about all the other great roles that Joaquin Phoenix was in. Has he been in any other comic movies? 
I'm just talking about in general. Dun, 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 dun. I fell down, down, down to a burning ring of fire, and it burns, 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 and the flames go higher. Burns, burns, burns. Oh, he was Superboy. Oh, yeah. Well, he was Billy Hercules in the Superboy TV show in 1989. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll maybe do something for he was the in, Joker. He was in Brother Bear, mostly. Yeah, he was Kenai. Yeah. I'm sure uh, there, there's a superhero that can turn into bears. Uh, you mean like Marvel, the animated series, uh, Warpath? Damn, see right there. Or Ursa Major. Yeah, or Ursa Major. Uh, Devin, where can people find you online to tell you where, where can people find you online to tell you about other superheroes who can turn into bears? Oh, you can find me and tell me about that online at Fred of Feth, that's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T and Luke, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G uh, Multiversal Q slash Ultraversal Q is a alternating weekly podcast except when we do bonus episodes like we're going to be doing for the Joker. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Ultiver- at Multiversal Q. And we are also on Facebook where I got like $20 in credits and we apparently got a bunch of people following us. So if you're a new listener because of that Facebook ad, welcome. Uh, let us know. Mm-hmm. Welcome to this episode that I think is better than the normal episode. Because I spent the time to edit it. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, we have a Patreon where you can support us for as little as $1 a month. And you get early episodes of the other podcasts that we do, Exiled, as well as other benefits. Yep, we'll be back in two weeks with some more comics talk. And thank you for listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Catch you on the flip Peace. Mode. Peace. Peace.